Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, look at verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So tonight I'm going to preach a message, the identity marks of the Baptist from John the Baptist. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you that we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that we take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place. We thank you for the confidence and assurance that we have in your word, that you've promised to preserve it from this generation forever, should heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So we thank you for that assurance and confidence we can have in your word. We pray as we look into the word of God tonight and consider this subject. We pray that you would help us open our minds to receive the truth and help us to rightly divide it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, John the Baptist is a man of differing, of of whom men have differing opinions about. He's a controversial figure that many think doesn't fit anywhere in the Bible. He don't fit in the Old Testament because he's in the New. And he don't fit in the New Testament because he wasn't in church, in a church. And they don't know what to do with him. And what they do with him doesn't, what they do do with him, do to do, to do with him, often doesn't, isn't logical unless you understand biblically what a church really is. And so tonight, I'm going to look at the life of John the Baptist a little bit and, 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 and notice and, and we'll see some things that, we'll, that we hold to and, and we'll come to understanding that really John the Baptist preached the same message, held to the same truths that we do. So as we consider these, first of all, he believed in a, he was a scriptural-based authority. It says here in verse 6, there was a man sent from God. He was a man sent from God. Verse 33 says, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So again, John makes reference to to the one who sent him, which verse 6 tells us that he was a man sent from God. Uh, He had a a scriptural-based message in Matthew chapter 3. And you might want to get your place in Matthew chapter 3 and John chapter 1 because we're going to be going back and forth quite a bit. Uh, in the early chapters of Matthew and the early chapters of John. But anyway, it says, In those days, Matthew 3, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. So he had a message, a scriptural message, a God-given message calling sinners to repentance. Repentance unto life. So his ministry was scripturally based. You know, one of the things about Baptist people is, if you read Baptist history, you'll find out what the Baptist historians say, Baptists have never been creedal people. In other words, they don't follow man-made creeds. You know, creeds are like doctrinal statements, long, boring doctrinal statements that, that men write about their positions about what they believe about the Bible. And Baptists, they didn't make creeds. Now, there is some that, there's what they call the London Baptist Confession, which is the Calvinist, Calvinist Baptists, which are really Reformed Baptists, which we see a lot of those in our world today, around here even. You know, they, they put out this long statement, with a lot of which we, some of which we would agree with and some of which we wouldn't agree with. Um, but typically, Baptists didn't write creeds. They were people of the book. Their authority was Scripture. You know, in a lot of these creeds, they you know they they appeal to doctrines of men like John Calvin and and August uh, Augustine and, and you know a lot of these other men. They appeal to these men for some of these doctrines they get. And but the Baptists have been people of the book. Their authority is the Bible, not man. John's preaching was Christ-centered. In Matthew two verse. 2 and 3, again he says, And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So his message is to prepare a people to receiving the coming king, the coming Messiah, if you will. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Let me ask you something. Who's the way? Who is the way? Well, John tells us in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So John was preaching about Christ who would be the way to the Lord, to God. Again, in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, and the word light is capitalized, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So he came to bear witness concerning the person of Jesus Christ, and this was the testimony and really the life mission that John did. And once he was done with it, he got his head cut off. Not because he wanted it cut off, but you know, because of his because of his faithfulness. Because of, really, it was because of his faithfulness to the word of God, and we'll see that in a little bit a little bit later. But but you, you see, he preached the way of the Lord. If you drop down to verse fifteen, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, "This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me." So he's saying, you know, you know, Jesus was. Uh, uh, as far as humanity is concerned, he was born six months later than John. So he was younger than John. So he came after him in that respect. But he says he was also before me. In other words, he is before me. He is the eternal one. He is God in flesh. Verse 29. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. 
And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I'm come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, when he says he knew him not, of course, now he knew who Jesus was. In fact, he was his relative. He was related. Biologically related. Mary knew, knew Elizabeth. In fact, you remember after Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit, she went to visit Elizabeth who was six months pregnant, and the babe, John the Baptist, the babe, leaped in her womb when Mary spoke and entered the house. And so John knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know up until this point, until he baptized him, that this is the Messiah. He knew that God was going to, to point him out to him, and that God had told him, when, when you see the Spirit of God descending upon this certain one, you know it's him. You know it's him. And so this was John's mission in life. Look at verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood and told two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So here... And, and we read on here, and, and you know, one of those which heard, verse 40, John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when he, Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation of stone. The day following, Jesus go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. And, and, and it goes on. So, so John had pointed out to his disciples that he had baptized, that's the Son of God. That's the Lamb of God. It's going to take away the sin of the world. And so he, would, he bore witness to him that he is the way to the Lord. Therefore, they left John and followed Jesus. Because that's what John's been telling them. He's been telling them, look, I'm going to point out to you, I'm preaching, teaching you about the one who is to come to take away your sin, the way to the Lord. And so when you see him, you need to follow him. That means they're going to leave him, which they did. So John introduced his disciples to the Messiah and that he had told them of and that they had trusted in. They had repented and trusted in him. Confessing their sins. Therefore, they left John and followed Jesus. So, John's preaching was Christ-centered. Now, if he's a prophet of the Old Testament, what would his message have been? Go to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. In Malachi chapter 1, we see an example of a preaching of an Old Testament prophet. Malachi 1, verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests. Oh. John didn't say anything about priests. In fact, he told the Pharisees, you need to repent. 
But he, he's saying here, O priests that despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. Bread. You're offering polluted bread. John didn't say anything about offering bread. And wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. If you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the government. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord? And now I pray you, beseech God that he would be gracious unto you. This hath been your means, by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Again, John didn't say anything about incense. But, verse 12, but ye have profaned it. In that you say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. You said also, Behold, what weariness is it? And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. Ye have brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick, and thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this at your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. See, Malachi is preaching, look, you, st- you need to bring the right kind of offering as a sacrifice. He talks about bread. He talks about incense. You know, he's talking about the sacrificial worship of the temple, the Old Testament temple. John made no reference whatsoever to offering anything in the temple. You know, of course, these were types and shadows of figures of Jesus who has come. But John's pointing out the one who is has come and saying, look, you need, to, you need to trust in him. You don't need to offer any sacrifices. You don't need to bring lambs. You don't need to bring your bread. You don't need to bring your incense. You need to follow him. You need to, you need to trust in him. Is that different from what we preach? See, John was preaching about the Lamb of God which taketh away the, 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 the sin of the world. This is New Testament teaching. You in Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. Again, Jesus is here speaking about John. And this is what he says about him. Matthew 11, 13 through 15. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And ye, if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that he hath ears to hear, let him see. All the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Luke sixteen sixteen again says, all the prophets and the, uh, the law prophesied until John. Now that word until means that up until, up to John. Uh, the disciples, the apostles... In Acts chapter 1, and they're having their, their business meeting concerning Judas. And this is what they say concerning John. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. Where, uh, wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, 
beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. So, so here Judas has fallen. He's, he's committed suicide and he's been, you know, he was really dismissed or voted out by the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, in the, in the, uh, uh, the upper room. And, and so, uh, you know, he's gone. And so they want to replace Judas. And the qualification for it is, it must be somebody who was with us from the time of John to the time Jesus ascended. That's the time period. Somebody that's followed us with us since John and up until Jesus' ascension. That was the qualification they made. Now, do you think the apostles thought John was a New Testament prophet? I believe they did. He was not an Old Testament prophet. He was a New Testament preacher. He had a Christ-centered message. John also preached holy living, separation from worldliness. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says, In the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. You know, that's not saying we're supposed to have a girdle you know, about our loins and, and eat locusts and wild honey. God forbid. But, but he was separated from the world. And it's a picture of his separation, his consecration to God. But if you notice in verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, he's, he's pointing out their wickedness and their sin. And, and you need to be willing to separate from your sin. You need to be willing to repent of your sin. In fact, he died for preaching separation from sin. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. And you know the story, how that... Well, let's read verse 16. It says, But when Herod heard thereof, he said, Now he's hearing about Jesus. It is John, whom I beheaded when he risen. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So he preached. Holy living. The fourth thing we see about John is he practiced believers' baptism by immersion. Again, Matthew 3, verse 2, and saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven's hand. That's a qualification. And then in verse uh, 6, And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, this passage doesn't really prove that he used immersion, but it does prove he, he believed in believer's baptism. There had to be repentance, confession of sins. Uh, but in uh, verse 16, verse 16, it says we have a picture here of, of what, what the Baptist historians often call deep water baptism or immersion. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And in John 3 and verse 23, John 3 and verse 23, 
uh, talks about the place where John baptized, and the reason he baptized there was because there was much water. John 3.23, John also was baptizing in Eden near Salem, Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So he baptized there because there was much water, so you could immerse or dip somebody under down under the water. You don't need much water to pour a little water on their head or to sprinkle a little water on their head. John did not baptize by sprinkling or pouring. He baptized by immersion, which, of course, is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's a picture of us dying to self and resurrecting to new life. That's a picture of the gospel, really. Uh, he preached also repentance, a change of life as fruit of repentance. Of course, this is much contested today. But Matthew chapter 3 again, verses 7 through 9 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring therefore for, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, you know, this agrees, of course, with the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the apostles, and New Testament believers throughout history. You know, Matthew 4 and verse 17. What does Jesus say when he comes on the scene starting to preach? Matthew 4, 17. For that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Luke 13, 3 and 5. Two times it says, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In Acts 2, 38. Peter told the Jews on the day of Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. In Acts chapter 8, verse 22, they tell Simon, You need to repent of this wickedness. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says the Gentiles have been granted repentance unto life. It's talking about Cornelius and those who were with him. In Acts chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, maybe I'll turn there because this is, I mean, this is, I believe is an excellent illustration of repentance. Acts chapter 14 and verse uh, 14 and 15. Though the word is not used, but this is, this is a, a good picture, if you will, of repentance. Acts 14, 14. When the, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among them the people crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. In other words, you need to repent. You need to turn away from these vanities. You need to change your mind about these and turn away from them. Acts 17.30 at Athens, Paul said, God has commanded us to repent. In Acts 20 21, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, in his last epistle in 2 Peter 3 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, a lot of people say that repentance is a work, repentance is a change of mind. But if you get awake in the morning, and you decide to get up 
And then you don't. Why wouldn't you? Because you changed your mind. And an action followed. Now, if you didn't change your mind, you would have got up. See, the repentance always involves a change of action. If you change your mind about something, you're going to change what you're doing. It's like faith without works is dead, being alone. Faith always involves action. Action. And that's what repentance is. And John preached repentance, just as we are to preach repentance. That there is fruit. He told these Pharisees, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. You know, Jesus says, by their fruits ye shall know them. You know, if there is repentance, there's going to be a change. It always results in a change of life. The sixth thing we see here is individual responsibility, or we call it today soul liberty. And again, this was taught by John Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. says, in saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 6 through 8. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And so he's telling them, Look, you must take responsibility for your sin and repent. You've got to take personal responsibility. It is an individual's choice. It's an individual's responsibility that every man be persuaded, fully persuaded in his own mind, we have to take responsibility for our own sin. We can't be forced. That's not taking responsibility. That's having it taken from you. It's having it taken from you. Your Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. See, John taught, it's individually responsible. Individually responsible. That's soul liberty. Every man is to be fully persuaded in his own mind, not by the dictates of a government or church that exalts itself like a government. And then the seventh thing, considering John, there's a unique identification by God and others. In Matthew 3, one, verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist. Preaching. John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11. Verse 11. Matthew 11. Verse 11. Let's, let's drop back, back up to verse 7. Kind of get the context. It says, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went ye out for the, to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet, yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. 
notwithstanding, he to this least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist unto now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent taketh it by force. So Jesus called him John the Baptist. John the Baptist. So George, and of course, John tells us that he was a man sent from God. You know, he didn't give this name to himself. It was given to him by the Lord. You know, neither did we give us our name. We didn't give us our name. We didn't give us our name, Baptist. Our name came about as, as a name of derision. Of derision. It was first Anabaptist, which means rebaptizers, sort of baptize again, because Baptists or those Christians who were faithful, they weren't even called Baptists back then yet, they, those Christians who were faithful to John's teaching, Jesus' teaching, and the teaching of the apostles, those who were faithful to that, refused. They would not accept Catholic baptism or from churches they didn't agree with. And so they were in derision called Anabaptists. And sometime in the 1600s, Anna was dropped and they were just called Baptists. However, the derision has continued. In his book, page 211 page two, and 212, J.T. Christian, in the history of Baptists, says this. Uh, it talks about independence, the origination of what's called independence, uh, or they were called those days Congregationalists. Robert Brown and I'll read this quote, Robert Brown was the father of the independents or Congregationalists. In the year 1580, he went to Norwich. There was the headquarters of the Dutch Baptists in England. There were almost as many Dutch strangers as English natives inhabiting therein. And at this time, the Dutch had numerous congregation at Norwich. Many of these people, inclining to Anabaptism, were the more disposed to entertain any new resembling opinions. From these Dutch Baptists, he learned some of his opinions, and so in that city in the year 1584, he organized the first independent church. Many of the foremost writers admit, as the circumstances indicate, that he copied from the Baptists. No one except the Baptists ever held peculiar views of liberty of conscience and independence of church government. And the Congregationalists did not well learn these lessons. Wayne Garten makes this strong statement concerning this guy Brown. Quote, The perfect agreement between the views of Brown and those of the Baptists, as far as the nature of the church is concerned, is certainly proof enough that he borrowed this idea from them, though in his, quote, true declarations, unquote, of 1584, he did not deem it advisable to acknowledge the fact, lest he should receive in addition to all the Approbrious names, and that big word, approbrious, I had to look it up. It means outrageously shameful and disgraceful. So we could read it this way so that he should receive an addition to all the outrageously shameful and disgraceful names heaped upon him as that of the Anabaptists. Unquote. And to this day, there is a reproach that goes along with 
the Baptists. We are considered narrow-minded, bigoted, think we're the only ones, you know, um, But this, is, this has been the history of people that have been called Baptists, as it was concerning John as well. He was not liked either. Now, these characteristics are identical to the church that Jesus established and continues to build. However, here's something interesting. I don't know if you ever thought about this. John was never in a church. He prepared the materials or members of the first church. But he was never in a church. You know, a church is an assembly of baptized believers, and John was never baptized. Now you say, whoa, wait a minute. But that's the way it is. Because John was never in a church. He was between, kind of a transition period here, but, but he prepared. You know, he was never baptized. However, he had authority from God to baptize. Now, let's start somewhere. He had authority from God to baptize. He was a man sent from God. And Jesus accepted John's baptism as authoritative. He submitted himself to it. He walked 60 miles to submit to John's baptism. And he said to John, suffer it to be so, to feel all righteousness. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? You know, John now knows who he is. He knows who's he, he, who he is. He knows he's the Son of God. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows he's the Christ. And so he's saying, shouldn't I be baptized of thee? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. We, we need to fulfill the Scriptures. Then he suffered him. And, 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 and we also need to present to the world a picture of what's going to happen in the purchase of our redemption. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and Jesus, when he baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon and light upon him. And lo, a voice from him was saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Look at, uh, go also to John chapter, back to John chapter 1. Jesus, again, accepted John's baptism of the disciples. John 1, verse 35. Next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And, you know, when you read on in this passage, they continued to follow him. They never went back to John. And then, if you drop over to chapter 4, 
verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. So John, Jesus is now preaching himself. John's still baptizing, but Jesus is now preaching himself. And there's baptisms taking place. But notice what verse 2 says. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Who baptized Jesus' disciples? John did. And Jesus accepted the baptism of John because it was from heaven. He was a man sent from God. He's a man sent from God. But Jesus, but John, remember John was never baptized. You know, baptism really, what we learn throughout the rest of the New Testament is, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Which is a church. You know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the same day, you know, uh, those that receive the truth, uh, as many as re- uh, received it, no, that's not how it goes. I'm trying to remember how, how to quote that. But anyway, uh, those that believed were baptized the same day they were added unto the church. So they were baptized into the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Ye are the body of Christ and members in the picture. I'm talking about the church at Corinth. Colossians 1, 18, the, the, uh, which is his body, the church. So, so we are baptized into the body of Christ. John was a friend of the bridegroom. He wasn't part of the bride, the church. He was a friend. In fact, he says that. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. In verse 27 through 30. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease. But John's saying, I'm not in the bride. I'm not in the church. I'm a friend. I've prepared the materials. I've helped prepare for the building of the church. But he's going to build it. And of course, John had his life cut short. We read about that in Mark 6. So he was not part of the bride. Now, So he prepared the materials. Jesus and the disciples, the apostles and prophets built on that. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. So many of the doctrines that we teach concerning the church come straight from John the Baptist. The authority of the baptized comes from John the Baptist. It starts with John the Baptist. To Jesus, the disciples. But Ephesians 2, verse 19 and 20 says this, Now ye therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
Now, Jesus is God, so he has authorized it all. You know, really, he authorized John. He's God. But John was a man authorized by God to baptize Jesus. God became a man, and and he baptized the first disciples of Jesus, and then they began to baptize disciples that were made by Jesus and the disciples themselves. And this just continued on. So he says we're built upon, the church's church or church a church is built upon the foundation of the apostles, prophets. Now, understand, at the time of this writing, there's still prophets. Not in the sense that I'm a prophet. I'm telling forth what's already written. That's prophesying. The Bible calls that prophesying. But I cannot tell you what's in the future other than what's written in the Scriptures. But John did. Paul did. Peter did. Agabus did. Acts chapter 21. See, there were still prophets. And so did John the Baptist. He's one of those New Testament prophets. Upon which is the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, Jesus, who then put together, started the first church, added to John's teachings, you might say, by himself and through his prophets and apostles. They had authority given to them directly by God. Authority that no man has today. You know, sometimes we we read in the scriptures, and and this is where people get this idea that they can go outside the church for authority because... The church of Corinth went outside the church. They went to Paul for authority. But Paul was an apostle. There are no apostles today. There's pastors and teachers and a church. There's the local church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's where things should be settled. In fact, what did Paul tell the church of Corinth? You need to set in the church those and to judge who are least esteemed. Did you judge yourselves? So we see that already beginning. So some of the things the Lord added and the apostles added, the Lord's Supper as a memorial. Matthew chapter 26, he said to do this in memory, in remembrance of me. Of course, we're to remember that Christ died for our sins and shed his precious blood for our remission of our sins. He also instructed them concerning the separation of church and state. Now, he Look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And verse 15. Matthew 22. Verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not any the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought into him a penny, and said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? You know, so he's, he's basically telling them, Look, get out, get out a, a coin. And then, now, you tell me, whose image is on that? 
Well, this is a Federal Reserve note of the United States of America. Oh, okay. It's Caesar's. They send them Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the thing which are Caesar, and unto God the things which are God's. And what's he say? Look, the state is not to govern the church. And the church is not to have rule over the state. They are two separate entities. You know, the idea of a state church wasn't something new to to mankind. I mean, basically, that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. They had a state religion, which they made up. And so, Jesus, Jesus taught separation of church and state. And we see that taught throughout the New Testament as well. We're to, we're to fear God and honor men. Or honor God and fear men. You know, God is supposed to be first. Um, thirdly, he instructed them in church discipline. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But he will not hear thee, then take with thee uh, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, what you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here he's instructing the disciples how to discipline an erring brother, so if someone is an heir, then the one or, or has a fault, you know, if it's a, if it's a, an individual thing, you go tell him between, you know, confront him alone. And if he will refuse that, you take one or two witnesses, and he refuses the witness, you take it before the whole church. If he refuses to make it right, and if he refuses to make it right before the whole church, you're to put him out of the church, take away his membership for the church. Of course, this is taught also. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Very clearly taught there. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Um, So he instructed them in church discipline. He instructed them to reproduce themselves. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So he instructed them to, to go into all the world to teach others about salvation, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father. And, and, and then he says, then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We're teaching all the doctrines and, that, and the commandments of God concerning Christian conduct. How to behave thyself in the church of the living God. 1 Timothy 3.15. How we ought to behave. Of course, we call this church planting. And those that have held this doctrine down to the, through the centuries, even before they were called Anabaptists or Baptists, these are the things that they did. They went everywhere preaching the gospel, establishing churches without any 
hierarchy or denominational help. They despise that. It's just individual churches sending out people. Because they had authority given to them by God that went all the way back to John. Because that's the fifth thing here we see here. He instructed them concerning perpetuity. You know, in Matthew 16, 18, keep your place here in Matthew 28. We're going to come back to that. Matthew 16, 18, he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, he's not building his church upon Peter. He's building his church upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, there will always be churches, though the devil will fight against it. And we see this also in Matthew chapter 28, where it says in verse 20, you know, verse 18 says, All power is given unto me. And then he says in verse 20, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. How long? Even unto the end of the world. Now, the end of the world here means an unbroken age, perpetuity of time, end of the age. Now, would he be helping, empowering Peter until the end of the age? Or the disciples until the end of the age? No. He'd be empowering, helping with, he'd be with his churches unto the end of the age. There's perpetuity here. So he's saying that there will always be faithful churches carrying out the commandments of the Lord, observing all these things. And those are the faithful churches of the Lord. And if you read history, Baptist history, you're going to find that there have been always groups of people in different places. Sometimes it seems like they were almost annihilated. But then there appeared a little group here, a little group there. They were called by different names. They're called Novationists, Albigenses, the people of the valleys, the Waldensians, the, uh, I can't even remember all their names, but they went by different names. Lollards. You know, these were, these were the faithful, and they were persecuted the entire time of history from the time of Jesus until, even today. You know, we, we think in our country because we're not persecuted, it's not happening. It is happening in other parts of the world. It's happening right now in Nigeria. And, you know, I, my wife and I watched a uh, Prager You video about a lady that escaped from North Korea. I would encourage you to watch it and the things that she talks about in North Korea. Going to the river to wash the clothes and seeing dead bodies float down the river that have starved to death. And she talked about how her uncle died of malnutrition. Another family member died of malnutrition. You can't be a Christian. If you're caught reading the Bible, you're automatically put to death. You see, persecution is still very much part of life 
in other parts of the world. We just don't know about it as much. And these are the things that, you know, these churches, and here's a thing that stands out, teaching them to observe all things. These are identifying marks of true churches. True churches. In his book, Caswell Reeves talks about how to identify Protestant. He calls them Protestant Baptists. And some of the things he identifying marks are, and I'll just read them to you, Spirit baptism. Spirit baptism. It's a second kind of immersion of some invisible body. You know, it did happen in the first century. There's four times it happened. It's a sign gift. But we are not baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Jesus said He would baptize. You know, when we're talking about Spirit baptism, Jesus said He would baptize by the Spirit. It's not the Spirit doing the baptizing, it's Jesus. Filling people with the Holy Ghost. That's what spirit baptism is. And by the way, when you get saved, you repent of your sins and receive Christ as Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ fills you with His Holy Spirit. In a sense, He baptizes you with His Spirit. That's what spirit baptism is. There was just some outward manifestations of it four times for the Jews' sake who required a sign in the Bible. And I won't go into all that. But, but anyway, that's... Uh, that's that's a uh, he calls that Protestant baptism. They believe in a universal, invisible, mystical church, which they call the body of Christ. You know, David Cloud, who, in my opinion, is confusing, and sometimes he um, him and I had a little discussion some years ago. But anyway, on his website, on the um, under. Uh, his church directory, or by his church directory, this, this is what you'll find. He says, quote, From time to time I receive inquiries from people asking me if I'm a Baptist brider and inquiring further about my views in the church. Let me say in the strongest terms that no, I am not a Baptist brider and I have no sympathy with it. And this is what he called the Baptist bride position. Uh, it's a culinary, culinary, corollary of landmark Baptist church movement document teaches the following. Quote, only Baptist churches can trace their history back to John the Baptism are legitimate. Uh, this is known as church successionism. Now, I know a lot of Baptists who, who would hold to basically all these things, but they don't say you have to be able to trace your successionism, but they do believe that there is successionism. But they don't believe that you have to be able to trace it. Second thing, there is no universal, invisible, or mystical body of Christ, but only visible Baptist churches. That's what I believe. That's what we believe. He says, he, he contends there's, there's something else. He can't explain what it is, but there's something else. Third thing, quote, true Baptist churches make up the kingdom of God and therefore constitute the bride of Christ, and all other Christians are friends in the marriage of the Lamb. Some... Uh, landmarkers maintain that only Baptists will be raptured. Well, uh, of course, they don't believe that. Uh, by the way, there's more than in the kingdom of God than just the churches of Christ. The kingdom of God is not the church. The church is not the kingdom of God. Baptism from non-landmark Baptist church is alien and rejected. And then there's a quote here 
from Thomas Strauss, where he says, The movement began in 1851 as Southern Baptist preachers such as J.R. Graves disapproved of Protestants preaching in Southern Baptist pulpits. And Southern Baptist churches receiving into membership those baptized in Protestant churches, calling it alien baptism. Unquote. Well, I'm sorry, but I have to agree with J.R. Graves. I don't think Baptists should be preaching in Protestant pulpits either, and I don't think they should have Protestants preaching in their pulpits. Because they're not faithful churches. They reject the authority of John's baptism. In fact, I just listened to a message on YouTube, a guy that's somewhere in between us and Protestantism. He's Baptist in name and in a lot of doctrines. And he says that that on the day of Pentecost, they baptized all of John's disciples. I don't know where he got that. He didn't give any scripture verse to prove it. Now, there isn't one. You know, that tells me that if they're going to rebaptize all of John's Baptists, what about Peter? Wouldn't Peter have had to have been baptized too? Or Andrew, or James and John, and Philip, and on and on it goes. No. What that does is create confusion, and it contradicts plain teaching of Scripture. See, John the Baptist was a man sent from God. He had scriptural authority given to him by God, confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we, he taught the same things that we are to teach today. And of course, yes, he was not a member of the church because he died before. But he prepared the materials. He was a faithful witness. And we are to be a faithful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way of the Lord, as John said. We're to be a faithful witness and teach the doctrines that are set forth in the Word of God by His prophets, apostles, and the Lord Jesus Christ.